Welcome, everyone. I'm Kim Christensen, and this is the Peaceful Productivity Podcast, where I share strategies to help you get the most out of your time and feel better in the process. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Peaceful Productivity Podcast. I'm your host, Kim Christensen, and I'm excited about today's podcast episode because last week we kicked off the Money Mindset course that we just started. And so as part of that course, this week we're diving deeply into money beliefs. And on that note, I wanted to offer a podcast episode around asking for money. So today we're going to talk all about asking for money. When it comes to asking for money, there are typically three things that I've noticed that might stand in the way. The first reason is that it might not even occur to us to ask for a raise or to be compensated for our services. I have an example of this from a friend of mine who had been working for a small business for about four years. She started out as an assistant and she was quickly promoted to office manager and then on to salesperson. She learned really quickly and she knew that business probably as well as if not more than the business owner. So she was often consulted on important business decisions. Because she had been promoted internally, she was given a percentage increase of her former income every time she was promoted or whenever her responsibilities expanded. She never needed to ask for an increase in pay because she was, she was getting promoted so quickly that the promotions and the salary increases were coming at least once a year. She didn't really see a problem with this until after she'd been with the company for about four years And they decided to hire another position with the same job title and responsibilities as her position. And you can imagine how shocked and dismayed she was when she found out that the person that they were hiring for the exact same position that she was doing was going to be compensated considerably more than she was currently earning. When she inquired about this, what she was told is that this person had more experience, more education relevant to the role. And so they were being hired at a starting salary that was higher than her own because she had been trained internally. The interesting thing about that is that her own experience and education within the company was being undervalued in comparison with the education and experience of this person who had really no knowledge of the internal workings of that company aside from what they knew in theory. So my friend had practical experience, hands-on experience, knew the contacts, the network, the customers, and yet she was being undercompensated in comparison with someone who was still as yet an unknown entity. What it highlighted for my friend is that 
it had never really occurred to her that her salary was not increasing in line with the job description. She just assumed that because she was receiving moderate increases each year, that her salary was aligned with the value that she was providing and that she didn't necessarily need to evaluate or look at that. However, when her salary increases were calculated as a percentage of her former salary, she was being compensated according to her original position, not in accordance with the value that she was currently contributing. When she first started, she knew nothing about the business. She had yet to demonstrate trustworthiness and potential and reliability And she was so busy learning the business and the skills that she needed in that original position that she wasn't really able to realize her full potential in that role when her salary was originally decided upon. And then as she moved up in the company and she took on more and more responsibility, her ability to contribute value to the company and to her customers slowly outpaced her salary increases. So much so that it wasn't until she finally did look at what the market was paying for similar positions that she realized that she was being significantly underpaid for the value that she was creating. This happens to so many of us. We don't recognize the worth of our contribution that we're creating. It's almost like we fall into a bit of a sense of complacency. One in which we don't recognize that the value of our contribution is growing, nor do we recognize what our consumers are valuing. So if you find yourself in this position where it hasn't necessarily occurred to you to look at the value of your contribution, nor question what your consumers value, I'll invite you to take a look at it. I like to make it a practice to regularly evaluate the value that I'm creating and what it's worth to my consumers. Even if I don't necessarily share that assessment with anyone, it can really help to cultivate an appreciation and recognition for ourselves and our contribution. This is the one thing that I recommend to people who are feeling undervalued, unrecognized, and overlooked. The first place to start if you find yourself in that position is start taking a look at the value of your contribution and start appreciating and recognizing yourself for that value. Celebrating your strengths and your progress around that contribution can go a long way to helping you feel valued and recognized. The next reason why someone might not ask for money is because they might be confused about what to ask for. It reminds me of a family friend and this family friend was selling some furniture just locally online and they were pricing the furniture and the furnishings in a manner that reflected what the seller thought they were worth. And these items were consistently overpriced, so much so that I don't think this person ever did sell them. They held on to them for so long because they had convinced themselves 
that the value of these items was much higher than what the consumers were willing to pay for. The reason why is because the seller had paid a considerable amount of money for these items back when they were new and decided that they should be worth a lot more than what the market was willing to pay for at that time. However, the lesson here is that the seller doesn't determine the value of an item or a service. It's always the consumer that determines the value. I like to say that the consumers vote for value with their dollars. So if you find yourself in a position where you're not quite sure what to ask for, the first step is to determine the value of your contribution to the consumer, the person or people consuming your service. If you're in an employment situation, you can look at what similar positions are paying out in the market. But one thing to look out for is that I noticed, as in my very first example, that we often overlook the value of experience, life experience, and particularly company-specific experience. I worked in corporate before, and it was interesting that the unknown person was more highly valued than the person who had, quote-unquote, grown up within the company. And I think that's because we form a perception of people that we know well, and we base our expectations and our assessment of their potential based on what we know of them, their past. But when we're seeing somebody for the first time, we have none of those preconceived notions about their potential. So their potential feels unlimited, which is just a really interesting thing to look at if you find yourself in the position where you're hiring someone and evaluating the value of their experience. It's also useful to look at if you are applying for a position internally and ensuring that you are valuing that company-specific experience that you have and how important and valuable that really is. Depending on the position, it can take months, if not years, to come fully up to speed and be trained in a new position. So you are saving the company much time and effort if they can leverage the training that you already have within the company rather than training someone right from the start again. So when you're looking at the value of your contribution, include a factor for how your experience outside the company or within the company can help lead to more timely delivery and service. If you're in an entrepreneurial situation, the value of your product and service is determined by how much your end customer is willing to pay for it. What is the result that the customer receives from your service? I recently hired a company to come and clean my windows. So the result that I was after was clean windows at a reasonable cost and in a reasonable time frame. I didn't really care how they did it. I knew that I wouldn't be able to do it myself due to some safety concerns. So 
as long as they were doing it safely, all I really cared about was whether they could deliver me clean windows in the promised time frame and at the estimated cost. I hired a company and afterwards, when I noticed that the highest windows had been missed and there was some streaking on the windows, I was disappointed. Although they were able to deliver on time and at cost, ultimately they were unable to deliver the result, which was the clean windows. Now contrast this with another company that I hired for the same purpose. They ultimately delivered clean windows and they were on time and on estimate. So when you're considering the value of your service, consider the result. I also like to understand what is the essential or the bare minimum that's required to deliver that service and what are the value add items that distinguish you from your competitors. Why would your customers be willing to pay for your services over those of your competitor? Now this goes for both employees and entrepreneurs in that identifying what is the bare minimum, what are the value add items, what are the nice to haves, and what is just simply busy work. Once you get some clarity around the service that you're offering and what is valuable to your consumers, then you're in a really good place to understand what that's worth. One other thing that I'll add about confusion is that I've noticed that confusion can be a safe space for some of us. It protects us from taking any risks. When we tell ourselves that we don't know how to do something, we don't know how to value something, that could be an indicator that we are afraid of putting ourselves out there, of asking for money, the confusion feels much safer than the risk of getting rejected. Which leads me to the third reason why we might not want to ask for money. And this last reason comes from a place of fear. Fear of being accused of being greedy, fear of coming across as salesy or pushy, fear of being rejected. This fear comes from a nervous system response to a perceived threat. It's the old fight or flight response. The idea of being rejected, of being told no, or being confronted can actually feel quite threatening to some of us. And so just the thought of Asking for money feels like a place of vulnerability and it can trigger a nervous system response, which often leads to avoidance. We avoid asking for money because we're afraid or we stay safe in the comfort zone of confusion. This is what happened to me when I had a business in my early 20s before I became an accountant. I had products that helped people to sleep. And one time, I remember making an offer to someone who was dealing with a chronic health issue 
and thinking that my product was going to help them when in fact this person became very angry that I had offered them this and accused me of trying to take advantage of her health condition to sell her a product that she didn't really want or need. And I can remember feeling so much shame around that. The idea that someone thought that I was trying to benefit from their suffering actually led me to wind up that business. And so that fear of putting myself out there and asking people if they'd like help, that stems from that experience where I was not just rejected, but I was criticized for making an offer. And I think that's what can often lead us to stop asking for money altogether, is having one of those experiences where our unconscious money beliefs are being tapped into. I remember thinking, oh, I shouldn't have asked this person. This is humiliating. And of course, I felt embarrassed and I wanted to hide. And it sparked the shame spiral where we avoid those situations in the future and we actually experience an erosion of confidence because we're looking for evidence on why we should just continue to avoid those situations. So we never get the opportunity to practice and strengthen that muscle. When we start to believe that money is bad or asking for money will lead to rejection, it's no wonder why we might avoid that conversation altogether. We want to get really clear on what we're creating with our money beliefs and work on creating adjacent money beliefs that empower us instead of limit us. I recently reread Jen Sincero's book, You're a Badass at Making Money. Such a great read. I highly recommend it for anyone who's interested in looking at your money beliefs a little bit deeper. So in terms of creating some empowering money beliefs, what I like to do is I like to think about those feelings that fuel productive action, those feelings that might fuel my action of asking for money. Some of those feelings for me are confidence, empowerment, self-belief, belief in my product, and feelings of safety. To create those empowering, fueling feelings, I will work on beliefs like, I can handle whatever the outcome is. I am in charge of my emotional experience. I can manage disappointment. I can manage embarrassment. I would rather experience embarrassment and strengthen my self-confidence than avoid and hide and disconnect from myself. Some other favorite ones in terms of creating safety and security are, I can rely on myself to look out for myself. I've got my own back. I can create security for myself. So the question is, what are those feelings that fuel you to take action? What are those feelings that empower you and inspire you to look at the value that you're creating and to ask for money. And once you've identified those feelings, what are the thoughts and beliefs 
that lead you to feel that way. Thanks, everyone. I hope you have a great week. Take care.